Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. And keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a bunch. Can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again. Twist a little bit of teeth because I got big skin. Welcome into After the Snap. My name is Blake Ferguson. I'm joined by my co-host and brother, Reed Ferguson. Reed, what's going on? Man, I'll tell you what, I know I hit on it last week, but this Grills Mafia stuff really gets my juices flowing. Over the weekend, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, smoked a pork butt. I did, and Grills Mafia was all over it. I, You are getting quite the traction on Twitter and social media from the Grills Mafia thing. Western New Yorkers love smoked meats. Like you said, it's it's got a lot of traction. Um, I can't believe it's taken off kind of as much as it has. I don't even know when I first even started hitting that hashtag on Twitter. I think it's probably coming up on a year. It's a blast. There's a, a lot of great people in the community that continue to post uh, their own stuff, uh, great people, guys and girls alike. So uh, we're having a blast with it. And um, yeah, it's it's some, something I love to do. And it's great to see other people's uh, contributions uh, on social media when they when they tag Grills Mafia. So it's it's great. We're having a lot of fun with it. Before we get into this week's interview with John Weeks, long snapper for the Houston Texans, it's been a big week in the football world. There have been headlines day after day after day. And just before we recorded this, Seattle and Denver agreed to a trade sending Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Uh, Drew Locke is a part of that trade and it's pending his physical and Russell Wilson's approval. Yeah, that's, um, I, yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about it before we hopped on to record. I think the also, you know, we're also about to hit on it. The Aaron, the Aaron Rodgers news, I think, is what kind of had that trickle down effect on that because I think a lot of people were, were thinking that um, Rodgers would maybe leave Green Bay and go to Denver. But uh, with the news of Aaron Rodgers' new contract, highest paid NFL player ever, and again, resetting the QB market yet again. It, it, I think that kind of gave the go-ahead to Denver to say, okay, Russell's our guy. Pretty cool. I mean, look at the the quarterbacks in that division in the AFC West. I mean, holy moly. Russell Wilson, uh, Mahomes, obviously, uh, your boy Justin, uh, Herbert, and uh, obviously Derek Carr with the Raiders. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be no easy games there for the AFC West division. Seattle in in exchange for Russell Wilson and a fourth round pick. Seattle receives quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant. Wow. D lineman D lineman Shelby Harris, two first round picks, two second round picks, and a fifth round pick. Adam Schefter calls this one of the largest trades in NFL history. 
two firsts and two seconds. That's more than we got in the Laramie Tunzel trade with Houston, which was like three years of their first and second round picks almost. Like it was, it was crazy. And this is, I mean, that's insane. That's like, like eight players. <laughs> I'm just bringing, I'm just pulling up uh, Russell's contract. Um, they actually on spottrack.com already have him listed as the Broncos QB, which is pretty funny. Uh, but he is currently uh, under contract for another two years at an incredibly, I guess you would say, team-friendly deal because when you're looking at his talent level and what the, some of the new quarterbacks are setting the market at now, he's making uh, $19 million this year. I guess is hit 24 with his roster bonus, 24 million cap hit. And then next year uh, is a $27 million cap hit. So if you look at, you know, if you're looking at league wide um, and kind of what you're getting value wise, man, it's, it's hard to argue, but holy moly, two first, two seconds. That's, uh, that's bold. A couple other things before we get into our interview with John Weeks. Yesterday's headline, Calvin Ridley, receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, has now been suspended indefinitely for at least the 2022 season. The earliest time that he could be reinstated by the NFL would be February 15th of 2023 for allegedly gambling on NFL games while he was away from the team. What are your thoughts? While employed, I think is the important part. Correct. Obviously took the leave of absence, I guess is what they're calling it for mental health reasons, I think is what the official terminology would be. I I don't know if I saw when he bet, if it was while he was playing, because I think he maybe, Took his, you know, took his leave in like week six or seven. It was pretty early in the season, I think. I mean, this is like day one stuff that they tell you in training camp uh, that you can't do this. What I saw was he was in Flo- he was in the state of Florida. So it was while he was on that leave of absence, he he was in Florida and he was at like a sports book, and the NFL contracts out a gambling compliance company that is in the business of snitching on players when they're caught gambling. And so the NFL was then alerted to Ridley placing these, I guess it was something around $1,500 in these bets. And then the NFL found out about it and, and then took, took action. That was what I saw. I'm sure there's obviously more to the story, but that's like the least responsible way to <laughs> you're asking to get caught going into a sports book in the middle of the NFL season while employed by the Atlanta Falcons. The NFL combine wrapped up this week. Jordan Davis, defensive lineman for the no, University of you. Georgia. No, thank you. Was clocked at a four, seven, eight official no, time. Thank you. And that the dude is 341 pounds 
and ran a four Mm-mm. seven eight. <laughs> There's a picture on Twitter of him like jumping up in the air, getting his legs loose just before he ran the forty, and it legitimately looks like he's levitating, and he is quite possibly one of the most humongous human beings ever to play football. And it just for him to be able to move the way that he has is mind blowing. Yeah, that when I saw that video, I was just like, Lord have mercy on whoever runs into him. If he's running a four seven eight, he's gonna be the kick side three on kickoff. Dude, he's he in back in the day would have been the like the wedge buster on kickoff. Just hundred percent going down and taking on the the big offensive lineman who used to be on kickoff return that's obviously out outlawed now, he would have for sure been on been on kickoff. So one one thing that I thought was interesting, and this could be total coincidence, uh, but I also don't know if the NFL would actually do something like this, but I saw a lot of talk about I guess the overall 40 times, the 40 yard dash times in the, in the combine this year. Am I wrong to think that the NFL might be fudging the numbers a bit to get people to watch after not having a combine last year? Are you asking me if the NFL is taking the more tightly wrapped baseballs that are causing more home runs and more people are talking about it effect. Is that what you're asking me? Because it seems like that that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you don't, there was so many fastest, this fastest, that this guy's setting a record, this guy's setting a record. It just seems like, I don't know. I, 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 I 99% doubt that that's the case. I mean, when you're talking about the integrity of, timing and stuff at the combine there there was a lot of issues i saw with with guys on twitter talking about 40 times being late being posted online before they were official all this kind of stuff it seemed like there was a lot of just miscommunication and some nonsense going on it seems like they're i don't know it was just a thought that i had figured it would be interesting to bring it up and get your thoughts Kalon Barnes, Kalen Barnes out of Baylor ran a 4-2-3-40 time. That's good for the second fastest time in combine history. Second only to John Ross's 4.22 back in 2017. Number six on the all-time list was also added this year. Tariq Woolen, Woolen. Ran a 4.26. I mean, I don't know. Like the the players are are getting faster. I, I will I will say that because over the over the last I would say six to seven years, we're seeing more and more of the this person has bro- has broken the you know the the O line fastest O line time and this and that. So I think overall, yes, but. I mean, as far as the integrity of the of the combine, I, I don't know. I feel like it's so like 
there are so many eyes on it that it would be so hard That's exactly to, I feel. to get away with something like that. There's, right. there's and I don't so want to, I don't want to take anything away from the guys competing. Yeah. Obviously, because this is something that they've worked so hard for. But on the flip side, <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you said it, the baseball effect. I mean, those guys train their whole lives and you put, you put some de- you put some some bigger baseballs in there. Those pitchers, you know, are not going to be as effective as they were the year prior. Uh, it's just just weird stuff. But um, did you see the did you see Jaden Daniels um, quarterback transfer going to LSU? Did you let's see that? go, let's go, big Arizona time, State. big time transfer for the Tigers. Yep, Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels transferring to LSU. And according to Glenn Gilbo, is projected to be the starter already uh, in the 2022 opener versus Florida State. After Jaden announced his commitment, Shea Dixon, a beat writer for the LSU Tigers, put out a tweet that was talking about the current QB room at LSU as recruits. Miles Brennan was the number five rated quarterback in the 2017 class. Jaden Daniels was the number three quarterback in the 2019 class. Garrett Nussmeyer was the number 14 quarterback in the 2021 class. And now they have Walker Howard from the 2022 class. He was the number five quarterback. All four were in the top 100 in their classes and that's a pretty solid quarterback room for the LSU Tigers. Yeah, I know the I know the Walker kid. Um, there was a lot of hubbub about him. Uh, definitely excited to see him, but it doesn't hurt to bring in a high-profile transfer like Jaden. Last thing we want to mention before we jump into our interview with John Weeks. PFF has announced that they are signing Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end for the University of Michigan, to a podcast deal. He's the potential number one overall draft pick, and he's making some big waves in terms of sound waves. Yeah, I wanted to add this to the notes just because um, it's always good to see guys taking advantage of their platform um, and obviously adding another uh, NFL athlete to the podcast community. So definitely wanted to mention it. Welcome, Aiden Hutchinson. Joining us on After the Snap this week, we have John Weeks, long snapper for the Houston Texans. He's a 12-year NFL veteran and a pro bowler in 2015. He currently holds just about every franchise tenure record that you can for the Houston Texans. Let's get into the interview. First of all, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, it is a pleasure for us to have you on. Congrats on your recently signed deal back in Houston. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. We moved down to Houston. You guys are in Houston. Um, you've been here for uh, 12. Is that correct? 12 years? Just just finished 12 and signed on for 13. Just finished 12. That's right. You guys obviously have a new head coach. So as far as Reporting early, you've got probably a, about a month left. What is, uh, you know, we're, we're working out of the gym, spending a lot of time together. What does the rest of your offseason look like until you guys have to report back to the facility? You know, we like to keep it as simple as possible. 
we're very fortunate right now to know that we are coming back. So it makes the decisions for the off season a little easier. Uh, my best friend's getting married in a couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll drive down to Arizona, spend a week out there and, and enjoy the Arizona weather for a little bit. And then uh, other than that, man, I'm going to be with you in the, in the weight room working out, you know, with the new coach, we report, I believe April 11th. So then I'll go back to the facility, we'll train there with those guys and, We'll get ready to roll. And uh, I apologize that my youngest or my oldest is excited to see you guys and, and uh, you know, interrupt with her. Just to finish off, what does it mean to be back with Houston for year 13 with a new staff there going into this season? To be back, I think it means everything, right? I think if you guys look at our position, one of the one of the biggest signs of respect for us at our position is the stability that we can provide, right? You know, you figure if you, if you do a good enough job and you do your job at a high level, the team's going to keep you around. So, so to be able to say I'm back for year 13 is, is, is truly a privilege and an honor, you know, and, and I'm excited to play for Lovey. I have a ton of respect for Lovey. Uh, really got to know him this off or this past season as our defensive coordinator. And I'm excited for the opportunity to play, uh, play under him and, and, and learn from him. So John, you obviously are getting to spend a lot of time with your family in the off season. What does it mean to you to be able to spend some extra time with them, uh, be around your kids more as, as we know in season, you're, you're working seven days a week and, even on your off day, you're still either going to the facility, working out extra or watching film or, or doing extra work. What does it mean to, to be able to spend some more time around your family? Oh, it means everything, right? I mean, I think the biggest, the, the greatest gift that we can get is our, is our children and our family. And, you know, you guys know better. Again, and that's why I'm excited to be on this thing. If you guys know, it's the, the season is, is time consuming and it takes special people to, to be able to ask them to do what, you know, it takes for us to be successful at our jobs with the, with the sacrificing. And, you know, my wife had to sacrifice um, during COVID and all that kind of stuff. She was kind of on her own for two years. And so to be able to be home and, you know, me and Reed, we get that workout in early. So I'm able to get home and the girls are just kind of waking up and get to spend the rest of the day with them. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's the most important thing besides her going crazy right now. I've never seen her have this much energy. So, uh, <laughs> I apologize. No, it's it's cool. But it's it's the best, man. It's the best. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm excited for them to uh to get back to NRG next year. And so I I hit up Rubio yesterday, and I was like, "All right, tell me tell me about John and um kind of where where you guys started and." And so he he was just sharing with me that uh, you had started with him in high school. And at the time you were playing some other positions, um, offensive line, things like that. Let's, let's take it back to that time. Tell us how you got started with long snapping and and how did you get involved with Rubio? The long snapping thing was almost by pure accident. Um, I had a snapping coach in high school who kind of came up to me and just said, uh, Hey, listen, if you want, do you want the opportunity to play college ball? You know, and, and most of us, I was like, absolutely. So I jumped at that opportunity and I didn't even know what a long snapper was. He kind of asked me like, hey, if you're going to take this serious, you got to prove to me that you're willing to uh, put in the time. So I taught, he asked me to teach myself how to do it. And then once he saw that I was uh, dedicated enough, he started to teach me. And that's kind of how long snapping took off. Uh, how I ran into Chris, uh, that was by pure accident and luck. Um I attended Chris's, I believe, second annual camp that he ever had. 
And I got to it by pure luck. My kicker at the time was friends with uh, one of the big kickers coming out of coming out of Arizona. And I don't know if you guys know the name Tyler Schmidt, but Tyler was his snapper in high school. So Tyler and him were going, and my kicker just said, hey, uh, come. Former Seahawks? Former uh, Seattle Seahawks draft pick, yeah. uh, San Diego State long San Diego State, long that's what I thought, yep. Yeah, yep. I mean, the dude could throw rockets. He's a but, he's uh, an OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you want to talk about old, fellas. We went to his second camp, and I think, you know, you two know this better than most, but there was 12 total long snappers at the second camp. I'm pretty sure when I – now there's yeah, like 500. When I, <laughs> yeah, when I stopped working Rubio's camp, my senior year at Baylor, I think we had, and I don't think you guys were a part of those yet, but I think we had, a, you know, groups from seven in the morning to five with like 35, 40 kids starting as early as like fifth grade. You know, so to see how that has exploded, to see how the position has exploded, has been pretty cool to see throughout the year. So, um, but that's how I got involved with Chris. It was by pure luck. I remember, you know, we, we asked to go to it and he was like, Hey, registration's late. He's like, but if you're willing to dra- drive down to California and snap in front of me, I'll let you know if you can come to it. So my dad, me and my dad hopped in the car, drove to Cali, snapped in front of Chris for about 20 minutes and drove back to Phoenix. So kind of moving on through high school, uh, you know, talking about your transition to college, what does your recruiting journey look like as far as, uh, obviously you mentioned that you ended up at, Bay- at Baylor, but, you know, when you were getting recruited, and this is obviously no offense uh, to you, but uh, it's kind of before the social media time that we live in now. And even when I was going through it, uh, the social media thing was was really not even a factor. How did you kind of get get yourself noticed and get your name out there? And then eventually, how did you get end up at Baylor? It's funny you say that because back when I was doing it, you had to send VHS tapes to schools. And um, a crappy VHS tape is one of the reasons, supposedly, I didn't end up at USC and ended up at Baylor instead. You know, the great thing about Chris's camp in the beginning and the thing I loved and the thing that I hated that I want to say the NCAA kind of took away, but then social media has taken away was Chris's first few years at camp. And, Reed, I don't know if this changed for you when you were going through it, but we actually got a chance to snap in front of the coaches. You know, so so Baylor Baylor came looking – and I think they I'll had never, changed the rule when I, bef- maybe before I was going to like the Vegas camps and stuff. None of the I got you. coaches were allowed to go. I do remember yeah. hearing about what you're referring to, though. Yeah, so that was fun, right? So, like, uh, I remember the first camp I went to. In, I went to the January camp, and Tyler was the big, big showcase right there, right? I mean, six foot two, leaned out, just ripping footballs back. So I just kind of went off on my own and I snapped. But in May, Chris had talked to a few coaches about me, so I'll never forget my first warm-up snap. I, I get set up, I get down over the ball, and four coaches just walk right up over the ball and have a stopwatch on me, right? And they just hit me. And that was that was such a cool little atmosphere because it's me and these other guys, and we're all competing. And Chris is like, hey, Baylor's here looking. This school's here looking. This school's here looking. And all the special teams coaches are right there, just got you on the stopwatch and, and all that kind of stuff. So so we did that, and that, that was awesome. And then – uh Waco reached out. They had struggled during the spring ball and they were interested in me and another linebacker. And they brought us both in. We did our official visits and we snapped a few footballs and might have snapped to the current specialist, which I'm pretty sure was illegal. But, you know, that's a story for another time. You know, then our, our coach was just like, all right, pick which one you want. And I was fortunate enough to where they picked me. So 
that's how I ended up at Baylor. So did they bring you in to play other positions? I think I saw where you had played maybe some defensive end or linebacker as well as long, very, long very, snapper. Very, yeah, very briefly. So I was – I had uh, – uh, that's. I mean, I had I had one defensive lineman of the year in the state of Arizona, so they, they knew I was capable. So on my recruiting ship, they mentioned, hey – you know, maybe we'll let you get a couple looks at defensive line, jumped in, got my hand smashed, couldn't snap a football. And then long story short, the backup couldn't either. And they're like, Hey, you're here to do one thing. And that was kind of the end of that. But Hey, you know, I, I again, it, it was fun playing, but I kind of knew where, where I was going to be playing college ball at, at what position. So I just kind of stuck with it. Stan, uh, at Baylor, what was, uh, what would you say are one or two of your best memories from your time there? Oh, I mean, that's tough. You know, we, um, we weren't very good when I was at Baylor. We, we struggled mightily. I think my freshman year, we played a Halloween game against the Aggies. The Aggies were top 15 and we pulled out a win somehow on Halloween night. And then probably getting voted team captain. Um, unanimously my senior year just by my teammates and my coaches those were probably my two best memories again you know it was it was hard to come by wins at Baylor when I was there we were kind of the the lower totem of the the big 12 at that time and so getting to play against NFL quality talent was one of the big reasons I chose to go to Waco but those are probably my two best memories so moving on to the NFL transition kind of talk us through pro day private workouts, kind of the whole nine. How did that transition go? Um, obviously, you, you've only played for Houston in your career. How did that t- kind of talk us through the transition and some of the highlights? Yeah, those those highlights are non-existent, Reed, and I think you know that, you jerk. Um, no, so what ended up happening was, you know, again, we struggled at Baylor, and when I was a senior, my staff got let go midway through the season. They let us know they were very upfront with it. So December of 07 was my last year playing. January of 08, our Bryles and his staff come in. You know, they kind of tell us seniors, they don't really want anything to do with us. We represented a losing atmosphere, and that was Coach's, Coach Bryles's, you know, that was his thing, and we respected that. But I was looking at YouTube videos, trying to train for a pro day that I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. You know, they told us, you'll be lucky to have a pro day. We'll decide on that. So a week before my pro day, they called one of my linebackers and said, hey, you're going to have a pro day. I hope you guys are ready to go. Was every – and this was 09, you said? So I graduated uh, – my last year playing was December of 07. So fall of 07 was my last year playing college football. So was it was it not a popular thing to, to have a pro day? Did every team not have a pro day? It seems like they'd no, be so – Yeah, so pro days were still a big deal, but I think – Coach Bryles, when he came in, they kind of told us old players they didn't really want anything to do with us because what we did was we represented a losing atmosphere and they kind of wanted us away from the players. So he said so that you guys us, were so he said you guys were so poor, just bad that you didn't deserve to have a pro day. That seems. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to put those words in his mouth, but from what I was told, and it was me. I, we had me a safety and a linebacker. We all had free agent grades. And we, we went and approached uh, the new strength coach about working out at the facility. Like, hey, when can we train? When can we use the stuff? When can we prepare for our pro day? And they basically told us, like, hey, listen, you guys represent a losing atmosphere that we're trying to get rid of. So you guys can train at the student center, and we'll let you know about your pro day. And that was it. 
Got it. So there was no like, hey, your pro day is going to be March, blah, 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 right? So, um, I mean, I'm studying for finals, and I'll never forget, my linebacker buddy calls me. He goes, hey, man, they just told me our pro day is next week. And I had like three finals on that day. So I had to reach out to those instructors and was like, hey, with all due respect, like I came back for this semester to get ready for this. I'm going to have to miss these finals. I apologize. But that was kind of how it went. So there was no pro day for me, but um, I had a good agent an agent who who sent around a lot of my Baylor tape, and he was able to get me to uh, rookie mini camp for the Lions. But at the time, Detroit still had the legend going for him. So it was just nice to get into a mini camp and kind of check that out. But um, after mini camp, didn't hear anything and kind of just sat around for two years. You know, I ended up pursuing a career in firefighting. I moved on from football fairly quickly, only because there was an instance where my punter out of college was drafted to the Steelers. The Steelers always told us that, hey, you guys have a good rapport with him. So if something was to happen to our snapper, we'll bring him in for a workout, right? Well, their snapper tears his ACL. I don't hear anything. So I called my punter and he's like, well, we brought in about five snappers for workouts. And when I realized I wasn't on that list, I was kind of like, okay, you know, time to time to start kind of moving on. I'd given myself and told myself, hey, we'll go two years, see what happens. And by pure sheer luck, by close to the end of those two years, I found out about Coach Zahner's camp. You know, and just kind of like Rubio's camp, I attended Zoner's like second annual camp. And that was right around the time where the UFL had their first successful season. Um, so when I snapped for him, he's like, I can't promise you the NFL, but I can at least promise you the UFL. And the UFL, I was going to make more in two months than I was making working 80 plus hours at a hospital and, and as a firefighter. So I jumped on it. I don't think we I don't think you've ever shared that with me. The The firefighter. Deal. Oh yeah, man. I mean, I, 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 what, I was I was not aware. That's pretty cool, what, fellas. Yeah, I got lucky. You know, a lot of guys have that hard time transitioning, but I was able to find something that I love doing so much that when Zoner's camp came up, I said, you know what? Hey, let's just do this, so I don't look back and say, what if I would have done this? Right? I was like, let me just go do this. This guy's probably gonna tell me I'm too small again, but I'm super happy doing what I'm doing. So at least I can close that football chapter and not say what if. And the opposite happened. 13 years later, I'm on your guys' podcast talking to you about an unbelievable career so far. So how long had it been since you had like snapped? Were you training that whole time? I know you said you were kind of ready in case Pittsburgh had called or, or whatever. But I mean, were you like, like ready to go when the phone, like when the phone rang, if you know, throughout this entire two year oh, no, period? Not, not a, no, not a chance. I, you know, I had a, a group of diehard friends that would every once in a while be like, Hey, let's just throw a few balls. Let's just kind of stay with it. Right. Um, but I was a hundred percent into being a firefighter. So I was training to be a firefighter. Um, and the training is so much different, right? You know, football we're on for, what do you guys say? Like 15 seconds, your top, Right. Training to be a firefighter, you got to be full go for 45 minutes to an hour. So that's kind of how I was training. When I reached out to Zoner, I probably hadn't snapped a football in about seven months. And Gary kind of told me like, hey, you know, I want to see you in a couple of weeks to see if you can come to this camp. So I just kind of, all right, well, here we go. Let's see what happens. So firefighting kept me in shape, probably got me in better shape than I've ever been in. And then it was just, you know, by by pure luck, I had a great great supporting cast that just kind of said, Hey, you said you're going to give yourself two years. Just throw me a few. Let's see what happens. One last question on the, on the firefighting thing before we get into your beginnings in Houston, do you have any cool like stories or, or just 
like rewarding moments of when you were, when you were doing that? Uh, nothing cool, nothing. Um, so what you got to understand is, is right now, especially in the Arizona areas, um, a lot of firefighting is like 99% EMS calls. And, and there's not, there's not too many fight. You're not fighting fires as much as people would think. Right. So I've had, but I've had buddies on, on the department for, you know, going on 12 years now who maybe have fought in a total of five fires. Um, so nothing crazy. There's no, there's no good, interesting stories that I got for you guys. I wish I did. When you signed in Houston and you won the job, who were some of the vets that you kind of looked up to in the locker room? Uh, some, you know, some of those team leaders that kind of uh, set the tone and set the culture for, you know, re- what was really a relatively new franchise at the time. Yeah. You know, coming into the locker room, you don't want to say starstruck, but you, you obviously knew who the leaders were at the time, right? It was, it was Andre. Um, it was Dwayne Brown. It was Andre Johnson. It was Matt Schaub. And you had a couple other guys that were more lead by example guys, but you know, a big influence for me and somebody who helped me early was Neil Rackers. Uh, Neil had just come over from Arizona. He was competing for the job with Chris Brown, you know, and him and Chris had a really good competition that year and Neil would eventually win the job. But, but Neil really kind of showed me how to be a pro and kind of handle different things in different situations. You know, and then Co- Coach Marciano, I, I, I owe a lot to. And, and Coach was – he was tough on me, really tough on me um, as, a, as a young guy. And, but he, but he kind of helped me see what this business was going to be like. And I don't think if it was for Coach Marciano and how he treated me my first year or two in the league that I'd still be going. So I'm very thankful for all those guys. But, and then, you know, of course, the legend coming along, probably my fourth year in, Shane, Shane showed me and taught me a ton of stuff and, you know, how to evolve, how to be a leader. You know, you don't, there's always different kinds of leaders. You don't have to be the rah-rah guy. You don't have to be the guy that's chewing people out, but you can be that guy that pulls people aside and, and kind of talks to them and shows them and, and tries to help them. So, you know, Shane Leckler is a huge part of my career as long as Neil, as well as Neil Rappers was. How did it feel going to a team that you didn't grow up watching? It was an expansion team. What was the fan base like early, you know, in the earlier years when you first got started there? So I got here in 2010, right? And they were just coming off their first almost season, right? Where I think they missed the playoffs by some kind of crazy scenario where like they had to win to get in and that, and you know, this team had to lose and they had just missed it. So the, the, the fan base was like, itching right like Houston is an amazing football town I don't know Reed if you feel that when you come here you know but Houston loves its Astros they love the Rockets but like Texas is football right and 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 there's nothing like and Reed you know this like that playoff game when we played you guys that place was just rocking and and these fans one of the loudest uh one of the loudest stadiums when it I don't even know what play it was uh, but something happened during that game, you know, three years ago, and, uh, and I, I, I thought I lost my hearing. It was. Oh, I mean, to me, it was probably when JJ sacked Josh. Yeah, might have been. been my guess. Um, yep. You know, and kind of started to get. I think we held you to a field goal after that, and that kind of started to get the crowd back into it. And I, I mean, I remember our first playoff game. JJ intercepts Andy Dalton, and I mean, I'm two feet from my kicker and I can't hear anything. I mean, this place, these fans are amazing. So when I got here, you know, they were just itching and itching and itching. So that's why the last year or two has been tough. You know, when we've struggled a little bit, because the fan base here is so great. They're always so into it. 
and you know hopefully uh, coach lovey and, and Nick and those guys can get things turned around and and uh, we can start getting some playoff football back in Houston because those fans deserve it so um I just want to hit on uh two accolades from kind of a personal standpoint uh, and something that you know uh, I've been joking with Billy about while we work out do you know how many tackles you have in your career according to pro football reference I don't I've seen. I've I'm seen very jealous that, of this number. I've seen some that have had me in the the upper 30s, but then I've seen some that have had me in the low 20s. So I can't give you a for sure answer on that. I, okay, I if so, I was to get if I was to guess, I've uh, 12 uh, somewhere in the 30s, maybe. According to Pro Football Reference, you have a combined 26. Okay. It had you at 13 solo and 13 assisted. That was okay. that's that's normally my go-to for statistics, but it's not, you know the Texans website maybe the Texans uh, the Texans had you had, in the 30s. The Texans website had you at 32. Right. So relatively close. Anyway, right. um, I'm in there. What, so and, and also uh, another uh, you know kind of from a personal standpoint, uh, you are a Pro Bowler. Um, so, you know, what does it mean to you to kind of have that Pro Bowl star on your resume? And uh, I have a follow-up question after you answer that. The Pro Bowl one was was truly special. And I think that was because – and, you know, if I was to look at it now, I think now that we get a chance to vote on it, I think getting voted in by your peers right now is, is would probably be a little more special because obviously no one pays attention more to the position than we do, right? But at the time, the coaching staff that was selecting the, the, the snapper that got to go, right? I remember it came out that Morgan was going to his first one. My team, my uh, PR, she was great. Her name was Amy. She had texted me and said, hey, real cool call, answer the phone. And I was kind of caught off guard because at the time, I didn't realize you could bring two AFC snappers, right? So once Morgan was selected, I thought that was kind of that was kind of the end of it she said that the Green Bay Packers staff had selected me. So that was pretty cool, you know, that the and – I, and I talked to that coach at the uh, at the Pro Bowl, and he was just like, hey, man, I thought you had a tremendous year, and, and we thought you were really deserving of it, so we're happy you're here with us. And the other cool part was it was the last one we've had in Hawaii, you know, so I got to go, like, experience the Pro Bowl, how I always grew up watching it. And so that was really cool. And, yes, it was it was an honor because another coaching staff – selected me but like i said i think you know now if somehow it was to happen because you know we get to vote on ourselves now and 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 uh, having your peers vote you in i think is pretty cool follow-up question what is the secret tackle sauce secret tackle sauce is it being a ex-firefighter no 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 the secret tackle sauce is is that what i've realized when i realized is that that a lot of these statisticians don't really know what happens. They just kind of see who comes up off the pile. So jump on and just kind of wrap an ankle and then come up late off the ankle and make sure they see you kind of come up and, you know, like, yeah, all right, good job, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, we could, we, jump on we, in our grading system, we call that a JOP. Jump on, jump on pile. Okay. And I'm all for that. Yeah. But when you jump on, come off late. And if, yep. if you get up then, and if you get up and celebrate, and like get yeah. fired up, like they're gonna think, oh, that guy must yeah. have made the tackle. Exactly. They don't know half the time, especially with us, right? Unless it's that bang bang, like 
you just group jump it. You just jump in there and then you'd be one of the last guys to get off and, you know, let's freaking, you know, you're going to get at least an assist and that just starts piling everything up. But you don't punt enough for that. So it's okay. <laughs> I don't know, Blake, if you know of our ongoing joke right now, but I'm pretty sure I doubled your brother two to one this past off, past season. How many, um, Reed, how many did y'all actually, how many punts did y'all have? I want to say like 47. Yeah. I think we were in the seventies, so we finished with ninety-one. You were you were earning your money, and I ninety-one, and that's not even the most. We actually made the playoffs one year at ninety-seven. That was insane. Good defense. Good defense and a Hall of Fame punter. The last question that we have for you before we get into a couple of what we like to call quick snaps. Last question that we have: you've you've played twelve seasons, going on thirteen in Houston. Longest tenured player on the roster. You hold consecutive starts records. You know, you've played in every franchise playoff game. Tell us what those things mean to you looking back on your career and what other personal goals do you still have for yourself outside of maybe winning a Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it comes back to, to the answer I had earlier and it means everything because at our position, the consistency is what every team looks for, right? You know, if we're able to go in there and and do our job at a high level consistently and they realize that, hey, there's nothing wrong here. We can just keep rolling with this and we know what this guy is day in and day out. I think that's the awful, you know, the the ultimate compliment for us at our job, right? And and so to be able to go on year 13 and to be able to look back and say like, hey, I've been fortunate enough to have yet miss a game. You know, I hope that day doesn't come anytime soon, but I'm still rolling in there. I'm still going in and giving you guys the best I can give you. And, you know, my teammates trust me. My coaches trust me. And I don't think for us we can ask for anything more than that. Besides the Super Bowl ring, you know, I've played in every playoff game for the Houston Texans except an AFC championship game and a Super Bowl. I'd love to be a part of that. And then, like I told Reed, my wife knows I'm very driven and goal-oriented. And, you know, she told me, Hey, you're seven games away from 200 and seven games away from 200 with one organization, I think would be something really cool and really special. So, uh, you know, I'm shooting for that and hopefully, hopefully we pull that off and then we just keep, keep building on that. But that's kind of where I'm at right now, boys. Just to wrap this up and, and thank you obviously for your time, uh, with us today, but we have some quick snaps, uh, just some quick fire questions, uh, that we'd like to ask, uh, the guys that we get on here. So, um, I'll rattle them off pretty quick here. Uh, favorite away stadium to play in? Atmosphere-wise is Buffalo. Uh, looks is Lucas Oil. Okay. Well, uh, least favorite away stadium uh, slash visitor's locker room. New England. Not a big Gotta New be. England fan. Yeah, not yeah. a big New England fan. Uh, what is your uh, go-to halftime snack? Pickle juice. Like the little like shooter the, bottles? Yeah, little shooter bottles of pickle juice. That makes that makes one of us, I think. I do. I do a lot of. I do a lot of snap. I'm a big volume snapper, so I snap a lot during the football game. So I gotta make sure I don't cramp up. Like I thought Miami this year, I thought for sure I was, I was cramping. That was one of the more humid games I've played in a long time. And your punter was out there hitting balls like three hours before the game. Cam is a volume punter. Cam will come out about two hours early and start punting. So I got to be ready to roll. You gotta have those shoulders warmed up, man. That's <laughs> this question. Um, just to give a little background, 
the perfect peanut butter and jelly ratio. This came about last season uh, when we played in Kansas City on Sunday Night Football, and we had a long uh, rain delay at halftime, and Michelle Tafoya was in the tunnel with a couple of us, a group of the Bills players, and um, we were. she was asking us what we were eating at halftime. And I made a comment that the peanut butter sandwiches were too, they had too much peanut butter on them, not enough jelly. So uh, I think the perfect ratio is uh, like a, a good 60-40. Do you have any uh, input on the on the peanut butter and jelly perfect ratio? So my input would start with the bread volume. If you're going with like a thick piece of bread, you know, I think you got to, you got to slab, slab the peanut butter on there, slab the, you know, to me, it's all, it's all bread volume and how, and how the bread is like right now we use a pretty decently sized bread for our Texans peanut butter PBJs and our jelly to peanut butter ratio is abysmal. It's like you're eating a bread sandwich. I'm probably a fan 70, 30 peanut butter to jelly. Do you also carry the, the Smucker's Uncrustables? Oh, of course. Do you eat those? Is that your is that your go to, or do you go peanut true like handmade peanut butter and jelly sandwich? If if I have to choose between a Texans made PB and J or an Uncrustable, I'm gonna go Uncrustable just because of the peanut butter and jelly ratio difference. Our people in Houston are great, but their peanut butter and jelly ratio is terrible. Understandable. All right, last one um, from one girl dad to another. Uh, best dad advice: patience. Learn patience. Be patient because I thought I was patient and um, these little girls kicked my tail. But, yeah, patience and then just enjoy the, every moment with them. I mean, you guys know that better than anybody. You just, you know, our jobs take so much time away and you just enjoy every minute with them. So. Well, John, this has been an absolute pleasure for us. We really appreciate you coming on the pod. John Weeks, long snapper for the Houston Texans. Well, we want to thank John for coming on the pod this week. We have really enjoyed getting to know him over the years. Reed, I know you train with him uh, in Houston, so uh, spending a lot of quality time with him. He's been a great vet, just giving us all the help that we need throughout the years. So uh, thanks to John. That is a wrap on this week's episode of After the Snap. As always, you can follow us on social media at After the Snap Pod, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to the pod, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That is how we grow our audience. This has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.